I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Maurizio Pochettino has never been slow to declare his love for Tottenham Hotspur not even when he's about to manage their hated rivals against his former club tonight I didn't decide to leave we parted ways because I was sacked maybe I would still be there who knows if he will go back to Spurs one day it's like life you never know what is going to happen tomorrow we need to enjoy today and not look too much into the future but for sure if I'm not working maybe if they want me one day why not <laughs> it's the greatest come and get me please since another Chelsea man Gus Poye last week reiterated his desire to manage the Republic of Ireland welcome yeah. to Monday Second Games Football Podcast hey fellas hey Owen how are you going? I kind of feel like if you're the Chelsea manager burning bridges is not a particularly smart thing to do you know let's be honest how you're you going mean? to be you're going to be in the hunt for a job pretty soon. Oh yeah. So I mean, the idea oh, so that you're don't, don't as Chelsea manager, listen. As far as I'm concerned, Chelsea are the only team for me. Yeah. I have no interest in managing uh, another team. The problem is I mean, when it's Spurs, when it's the Tottenham Hotspur, when it's that little short bridge over to Tottenham Hotspur. It's, it's a heard. bridge the Chelsea fans would like to have burned. They don't like each other. Murph. They don't. They straight up don't like each other. Murph, to no. be fair. I want to enjoy being at a place I was part of the process of creating something special there. I'm really calm. I want to enjoy. I hope it's a good night for us. I know very well the away dugout because I decided where it was. I was there with the architects. When you go to the right, it is the local and the away is to the left. <laughs> this guy's Mr. Tottenham. Right? It's just, what the, what's he doing, Manchester Chelsea? Why did you take that job? Why, did, why didn't Gus Poye ever express his love for Ireland what did Poyet say well, do you remember last after the yeah. Ireland game yeah. after the Greece game well okay so he's been kind of hilarious after all the matches because after the first the away game the one in Athens the away game for his for his future team the Republic of Ireland yeah. not his current team Greece he mm. was just like talking about his, his tactical masterclass yeah he did a Gary O'Neill yeah, yeah how easy he found it to basically prize open Stephen Kenny's team and now he keeps talking about Stephen Kenny's job even though he's still in now, it Now as we remember the following morning Ken refused to admit the fact that Gus Poyer might actually want to manage us So this was there, after the home game this was after yeah, Ireland's home yeah, game yeah. he was going on about the amazing atmosphere at Lansdowne Road it was literally the worst atmosphere in about 10 years yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he was talking about how amazing it was how the 
the supporters he saw on the way to the same all wearing the tracksuit the, the track team tracksuit yeah. all that kind of stuff Whoa, it would be a, a dream to manage here yeah. one day but well. Ken thought that was just him sticking it to the Greek FA but no well it probably is more. he's doing well, more he's, he's leaving he's leaving the Greece job now right well see this is what he's saying so this could all be part of just you know co- contract negotiations but his latest ones but at least for being used <laughs> <laughs> yeah we still have a standing in, in international football my contract with Greece finishes in March he told LiveScore so finish the playoff game and it's over it doesn't matter if I qualify or not there is no extension now that is now that it's a possibility that Ireland would like me that they will contact me that's a different matter I congratulated them because the atmosphere was spectacular it was a pleasure the future will tell he goes on again we left the hotel part of the game and all the way there everybody was wearing the black tracksuit <laughs> and if not wearing green obviously so to go to that game knowing it was practically impossible for them to qualify to have that support me as a football person I love it he knows Delaney's <laughs> gone doesn't he you know, like the, the gravy trade is, uh, has, has, has ceased we're not paying managers eight and a half million quid Poye for Ireland Ken he did take us apart on two occasions I I don't know because Poye would be my first choice huh? no no did you I, not see how well Greece played he's, he's someone I'd, I'd absolutely you know listen to his his pitch. Well, he's given you his pitch. You've listened to his pitch. The tracksuits. Yeah. Did you hear about the tracksuits? I'm not sure, you know. I think he, there's a touch of opportunism there. <laughs> Miguel and Mark Critchley on today. Post-match reaction to the Spurs-Chelsea match exclusively for World Service members tomorrow. That's Monday Night Football tonight. You have to join up at secondcaptains.com. A fiver a month plus fat. Well, you know, at least we hit back against the Greeks uh, on the weekend. Oh. Nathan Collins, <laughs> Constantinos Mavropanos, yeah. not looking too smart as Collins pushed him. Out <laughs> <Ag> me way, <laughs> Collins. Was it a shove? Was it a was it a Joe Linton type shove? No, he was establishing his position as he was jumping. That's all. But look, that's, the fact, how, that's what I'd call it. Are you talking about for the goal or for the own goal? For the goal. For the for the own goal. Oh, for the oh, own, for the own goal. goal. Yeah, no. Yeah, my, my Collins. The, Collins the, kind the, of pushed the, the, into the Newcastle ball. Newcastle Arsenal, which we'll get to. That was the own goal. Leaped in the air, and then yeah. oh, like a salmon, like a, an enormous salmon. So you're happy enough for Premier Sports Connor choice salmon. to show that game, like uh, a Connor salmon. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Murph. Uh, yeah, what a what a choice. I mean, these Premier Sports guys just don't miss. Yeah, because you, you have been saying they do miss. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a shit show oh, in recent Ken, weeks. You're a disgrace. Ken, has. You Ken, take it back. Ken always show Brentford. Are you not entertained? <laughs> always show Brentford is what Ken wants because he was pissed <laughs> off that the Brentford Man United game wasn't on, yeah. and now he's yeah. delighted that. Despite the fact that the view, viewers didn't get to see the Jeremy Doku show for Jeremy. Man City, but they'll, I'm sure they'll get to see him create plenty more goals for Man City over a glittering period for that fine club in the next number of years. Yeah, I think the, the Jeremy Doku show was best enjoyed in Highlight Forum. Yeah, <laughs> you don't need so to watch do. that. You know, we don't that. necessarily need to see all the in-between bits of the 6-1 annihilation. What player, though? Ridiculous. No, he's good. The thing you can immediately see... I mean, obviously there's the tension with the man who's placed in the side he's taken although he can also play in the right Jeremy Doku there's no reason why he should always be mm. taking Jack Grealish's yeah. place but the key thing is Jeremy just take people on forget about the team structure just go for it just express <laughs> yourself Jeremy <laughs> <You're> <laughs> stand for- back and watch the Jeremy Doku show that's that's great management though Ken isn't it Yeah. you know you just you, you, you find a, a guy like that and you just say just go out there yeah, and do be. what let you want to do make the people you know? happy yeah, yeah. Jeremy now he four assists 
Um, and it got, I mean, one of those assists was a deflected shot by him, which you know you, you could almost give him the goal. Although I'm not sure if it was on target. So that was the that was the one no, by uh, Akanji. Akanji, yeah. Um, but the but the difference you immediately see with Grealish is is not only the you know the output of goals and assists, but the two footedness. Um, Grealish is very right footed. Mm. Where you know he he almost never shoots with his left foot. So he does sometimes set up goals as I would like say, for instance, the one that he set up for Haaland against, um, was it Sheffield United earlier in the season, which was a, a, a lovely move by him. He chipped it to the back post with his left foot. Uh, and he does pass the ball a little bit left-footed, but dribbling, he, he, he relies a lot on his right foot. And shooting, he's really right-footed. Whereas Doku, I was looking at their figures. So, so with Grealish, it's like six to one, right to left in terms of shooting. Doku is three to two. Like it's it's almost an even split. Like he he almost doesn't mind you know left foot right foot. It doesn't really matter. And he dribbles with both feet as well, which is I mean some of the stuff he was. I was like I'm, I haven't really seen anyone do this before. It's quite a weird style where he rolls the ball under his under his foot a lot and kind of does step overs and then just somehow is like past the guy. Ah, uh, players have done that before. Sure. Yeah, but it's Chris uh, Waddle is one that springs to mind probably because I saw a clip of him scoring an amazing goal on the internet there yesterday. Yeah. Man, Man City legend Rubinho. Rubinho. Lots of players. Rubinho, have, have Rubinho been, was, been was more the, the bicicleta. Yeah. He was into the, the, the lots of consecutive step overs thing. Um, Doku is kind of rolling the ball under his studs one way and then stepping over it and then kind of going back the other way. Waddle does a bit of that. I remember years ago you playing us a clip of Chris Waddle talking about his style actually. and You've got to sell it. Yeah. That's it, yeah, yeah. You've got to actually... He really thought about this, this kind of stuff. Well, you've got to actually make the other guy think that you are going that way, which requires you to move as though you're going to do that before you change. Okay, not, it sounds kind of basic the way you're describing it now. I think Chris Waddle <laughs> explained it in more intricate terms than that. He spent a lot more time Why am I talking about Chris Waddle so much today? <laughs> Pretty fine Chrissy player. Waddle. Yeah. Um, I'm going to hear Ken, when you talk, I'm just going to watch a couple of... A great players. player. <laughs> but yeah, so Collins obviously was great. Oh, Benny. Are we maybe the best football nation around at the Well, moment? John Kennedy as well. <laughs> John Kennedy. For Fluminense. In the Libertadores. John O'Kennedy. Not having that, no? John Kennedy is enough. I don't mean, I'm not making that Kennedy. gag as in John O. Kennedy. I'm saying John O. Yeah, yeah. He'd be no, called, no, he'd be called John O. Johnner? Johnner Kennedy? <laughs> Joxer Kennedy? Does Joxer derive Joxer. from John? Does it? Might well, John, no. I think John Kennedy's name is is John Kennedy like Roberto Carlos. Like He's always called John Kennedy. Not like It's not like his name is John. His name is John Kennedy. We will talk about that a bit later on. One of our uh, greatest. Well, is he literally just named after an, his favorite American? Pre- is his brother like William? Ronaldo Taft? was named after his father's <laughs> favorite American president, Cristiano Ronaldo. It's his brother named William Taft. Merch is back from holidays and he's full of full of beans. I love it. We'll Wasn't, beat this out of him by Thursday. Can don't worry. There is definitely a link. It was Taft. William. Uh, William was his first name, wasn't it? Yeah, that sounds right to me. It so. sounds right. Um, but yeah, so so Benny had a great game as well, running uh, Trent. Uh, Ragged. Number 27, as I call him. Uh, Andy Moran as well. Don't forget Andy Moran for yeah. Blackburn. Setting up Sammy Smodix for a couple of goals. Maybe maybe the Smodix Moran. Maybe we're going to be seeing that uh, at, at the Viva at some point. Who knows? So you're saying that we're the premier football nation in the world at the moment? All I'm saying is if you like watched the, you know, you would have been like, who are these guys? Yeah. You know, what's. One after another. You know, this, there's a lot of outstanding ability on show here. Uh, so it's all very heartening. But of yeah, course, I, 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 watching Ogbeni yesterday was hilarious because I was like, they're going to give him man of the match. 
And then it was like, nah, they're going to give Ross Barkley man of the match because Ross Barkley's an Englishman. Did he? Did Barkley get man of the match? I think he did in the end. Uh, to, be f- to be fair, the game ended. I immediately got up off the couch because yeah. I thought that was a wise thing to do. Um, well, the main game, I suppose, was the Arsenal uh, or the Newcastle Arsenal game. And it certainly had the most interesting aftermath as Mikel Arteta came out after the game and said some of this stuff. I feel embarrassed. But I have to be the one now coming here to try to defend the club and please ask for help because it's an absolute disgrace that this goal is allowed. It's an absolute disgrace. I feel embarrassed. I've been more than 20 years in this country and this is nowhere near the level to describe this as the best league in the world. I am sorry. I don't care, honestly. I don't care. What they say is the outcome. It's too late. Whatever they say is too late. And we lost three points today, guys. You know what that means? It's too hard, this league. It's too hard. It's too much at stake. It's embarrassing. Honestly, it feels I feel sick. That's how I feel. I feel sick to be part of this. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I, I was trying to think, and I can't remember quite that level of of like a manager just they, he, his entire press conference basically was, was pretty short that was an edited version of what he said but it was basically just all all that stuff you know did you see the Havertz tackle well, that's how a, do you think the process and the outcome worked in that one was well, a good question Owen. that is a good question did you think the Havertz one was a red card oh Stonewaller Stonewall red card yeah I wasn't two feet, sure two feet in the air stood up everything wrong with it I seriously wasn't, shut the fuck up tonight <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure on whether that really was a red card oh, I thought oh. that might have been they, they gave a yellow card and then three Newcastle players got booked for protesting about it. All right, Mr. Let it flow. But I, I thought, okay. <laughs> the, I was watching it on uh, Match of the Day 2 last night and Martin Keogh was talking about it and he said, I think what saved him is the height at the exact moment. Now, Havertz, by the time his foot had made contact with the player, his foot had gone down again. But at the exact moment that Keogh had said, I think it's the lack of height that saved him. His foot is like at knee height it was a red karate well what saved him was the, was the direction you know in that he wasn't exactly lined up with the Newcastle player I mean if he'd hit him mm. like straight on to give Arteta his due here maybe he was factoring all this in maybe he just felt it was a bad day for Var he, he could have felt Arteta, that they got it wrong on that one as I'm well I'm sick to be part of I'm this sick to be part of I, sh- I, would, have t- I should have taken him off I, I should, we should have played for, with 10 men for the remaining although you know Arsenal also had this the, the Bruno would Bruno didn't even get booked yeah the for, that's a that's a clear red card yeah. like he can't like I mean what and they, 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 didn't, they didn't even book him I, I know that VAR can't say oh that's a booking but VAR should have said hey, you've got to go back and send Bruno off here and that was also a massive moment of the game that was the first half but well, then he also got booked later on he also so got booked, so even a booking, the booking would have, if he had if the referee had seen it in the first place. Maybe then. he changes his, you know, he stops uh, lashing out at people if he gets booked. But okay, I mean, the goal is obviously the big thing, and I felt Arsenal were were actually definitely hard hard done by. But hang on, with before, the goal. yeah, okay, but before we start getting into because there were three different elements to that, right? Before we start getting into them all, whether Four they were hard elements. done by. Okay, we'll get to the fourth one then. If there's a, a fourth one, let's not lose sight of the, the absolute overreaction from Arteta here. Like mm. they, they, these uh, these people are trying to do their job, right? Like. It's not easy when managers are coming out with this completely over-the-top criticism of them. There were a bunch of fairly marginal calls. Of course, you're going to be pissed off because they're all in the same passage of play and they all go against your team. But I didn't think it was one of the greatest scandals that I've ever seen. didn't think it was 
unbelievably clear cut and even if it is clear cut you don't have to go two foot in on the referees like this who will, you know someone will possibly lose their jobs over it this is what happens you get stood down and you may or may, may, mm. may or may not get back you know he's like oh I have to do this for the league and then the and now I am actually going off point so just my, <laughs> my point being I felt like the Arteta whatever about what Arsenal said afterwards I think the Arteta stuff was a total overreaction and, well yeah, and, uh, and actually really unfair yeah it would help as well if he like what part of the goal did, was I mean did, were they afraid to ask in case his head was going to explode because yeah. like there there were a couple of things going on in the goal and I do think actually like as you've uh, said on I, I was on holidays last week and as I was travelling back Yesterday or Saturday evening, I was just—it's so different to how it was even five years ago. Where it's like, okay, so to catch up now, I have to watch matches there, matches there too, and make sure I see as much football as possible, so I know what the lads are talking about on Monday morning. Now it's like, oh, it's people are people's heads are exploding on Twitter about VAR. So what VAR atrocity have I watched? All I have to do is watch that, and I'll have caught up with all of basically all of the. The, the main headlines of the of a football weekend it's, just, it's bizarre it's not just people's heads but it's Arteta's head exploding about it that's what yeah. elevates this one as well a bit like the, the Liverpool one but you know there's probably there's more yeah. righteous anger around that one I mean again though do, you, do they come out and apologise I don't I don't maybe, maybe they need to stop release the audio maybe they need to stop releasing audio and stop release the audio well, just keep doing their job I want to hear the audio well I mean obviously for entertainment purposes I absolutely <laughs> want to hear <laughs> I want to hear the audio of that it's like how do they decide each one of those calls goes Newcastle's way but they're all like 50-50 calls like yeah well like I mean the chance of if you go 50-50 then you go yeah. then you add another 50 and you were down to we're down well, to 25%. That story about, uh, if, if you, if you uh, flip a coin 37 times in a row, what are the odds of, uh, and it turns up heads, what are the odds of it turning up heads 38 times in a row? It's still 50-50. Yeah, so, but, I mean, yeah, but, yeah, but this, is, this, is, this is more like, what are the odds of, of, of heads four times in a row? That's what I'm saying. If there's 50-50, it's the, you, have to get, you have to get over each of these 50-50s. They're all counted. <laughs> This is, I mean, sometimes it's not nerd nonsense. So, hang on, Ken. You're saying there were four instances, though. So, the three were that everyone was talking about were whether or not the ball had gone out of play over the end line. Yes, I don't know how they can't just figure out some technology that measures that. Like, the cameraman has to follow the ball yeah. instead of letting it escape off the top of the picture, which is what he did. The second one was the <laughs> potential push, and then the third one was an offside. But what about the handball by, by oh, Joe Linton? Yeah. It's the a clear handball as well, right? They never even seem to mention this, you know. Okay, so the ball goes almost out of play. I don't think it is out of play. You know, no. and, we, and it's that, you know, people are like, look, it's an optical illusion. A ball is a sphere. Just because it looks a bit out from this angle doesn't mean it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we all know that. We can all understand, okay, this ball nearly went out but didn't. Uh, the ball is then crossed back in. Shodinson shoves Gabriel on the back with two hands and he's got his hands straight out like this, mm-hmm. right? And, he, and he's shoving him in the back. That's a foul. The ball lands on his arms or, or maybe off his face onto his arms. I think that, w- I think that is a foul. I think that's the one foul. Yeah, it's a foul, but and it doesn't then, mean it doesn't mean it's right for a, a manager to come out like that and call embarrassing and disgusting and all this kind of stuff. But go on, it bounces off his arms, goes to Anthony Gordon, who's Gordon, who's unmarked, possibly offside. We can't establish that either. They say, uh, and then he scores. Mm. Now, I think the the big one is the is the clear foul by Joe Linton, who does this all the time, like Joe Linton, like <laughs> he just runs around crashing into people. You know, it's it, it's rare that he is that he is in challenge where he doesn't foul. The opponent. Okay, I'm not saying you bring in his, you know, his uh, his his past, you know, in to judge every incident. But this was a foul. Like it's a double-handed push in the back, and it's a goal. They it's, they they should rule out the goal for that reason. I think they don't. 
Having said that, Arsenal need to defend that goal better anyway. And I don't mean in terms of Gabriel needs to be stronger there and stand up to the two-handed shove in the back to, to head the ball away. That's Which is literally what was being said about it on TV at the time. He needs to be stronger. He's getting shoved in the back. You get, that, that's what happens when you get shoved. But Ben White needs to try and close down the ball. Ben White, look at the goal again. So it starts from this awful shot by Jacob Murphy who, who lashes it sort of so far across goal that kind of the Arsenal players think it's just going to go out, go out for a goal kick near the corner flag. But of course, it sort of stays in play. Willock runs after it. And Ben White reacts really late to it, as though he's sort of waiting for it to go out of play. And then he sees it, and then he's like, oh, that's out of play kind of thing, you know? And in the meantime, he's he's already retrieved the ball. He's turned around, and he's got loads of time to cross it. And he's got he's not under any pressure from Ben White at the, at the moment he crosses. So that's a, that's a defensive lapse by Ben White, who isn't playing the whistle. Uh, he then... Uh, Murphy does the thing Chelsea were supposedly told to do against David Raya to put the ball over his head you know he likes to be, kind of be aggressively position himself for crosses so chip it over uh, which happens Raya is being Raya's under attack for flapping he's a flapper now everyone's decided this guy's a flapper uh, and he does flap a bit and he turns around oh no he can't affect the situation then there's a foul and Vigil Linton which they say that's fine and then it's a goal and so Newcastle win the game uh, now it has to also be said I don't think Arsenal played well like I, I, they didn't play well enough to, to win but what about Arteta's reaction do you think it was over the top uh, yeah I think it I think it is I think it's a bit much and then you see with Arsenal's statement Arsenal's Arsenal Football Club wholeheartedly supports Mikel Arteta's post-match comments after yet more unacceptable refereeing and VAR errors on Saturday evening we'd also like to acknowledge the huge effort and performance from our players and travelling supporters at St James' Park like, why is that in here? Uh, the Premier League is the best league in the world with the best players coaches and supporters all of whom deserve better PGML urgently needs to address the standard of officiating and focus on action which moves us all on from retrospective analysis attempt to explanations and apologies we support the ongoing efforts of Chief Refereeing Officer Howard Webb <laughs> welcome working together to achieve the world class officiating standards do that they think, do, there's nothing in this do they think coming out uh, manager coming out and calling the refereeing embarrassing and a disgrace do they honestly think that's the kind of thing that actually makes referees better the next time they have to make a big decision I don't know mm, no uh, might give him second thoughts when about to give Arsenal a refereeing decision and that's and, and, and that that's is, what's really at play here what's rather going than on. this oh we're doing this for the better the standards of, of, of officiating, officiating yeah, yeah. the standards of officiating at Arsenal games in when it concerns uh, decisions going for or against Arsenal yeah, it's is the only concern stuff of, of we're doing this for the good of the game yeah. we'll get, get into this with Mark Bollocks. and Miguel but they, I mean there's no there's no content in that other than like saying we stand with Mikel Arteta yeah it, it they're not actually saying anything really they're not even referring to any specific thing that happened in the game mm. you know the way with the with the Liverpool Tottenham incident it was kind of there was, there was one clear moment which Again, was yeah, crazy like Murph says which is the one they're talking about that was the embarrassing disgraceful one let's let's which which specific decision was it because I'm they, no, they, they, they don't say maybe maybe it is Harvard's as you um, suggest but <laughs> yeah, so uh, just I see that this but but it's it's kind of funny seeing the reaction to this where um, I see all these Liverpool fans saying oh you had the chance to stand with us when the original thing happened but you and then there's a clip of Arteta going well well you know at both sides there's some fine people at both sides this is from uh, the start of October you know and he's like well you didn't stand with us then so screw you now you know <laughs> just like this total uh, uh, tribal uh, disunity uh, no one is prepared to and once again the refs are getting away with it don't they? they're getting away with it 
Um, Jamal LaSalle, I saw some quotes from him. I'm especially glad that we, I'm so glad that we beat them. I'm just so glad that we beat them, he says. Their captain, Jorginho, didn't want to shake my hand after the game. I was fuming. It's not on. I would never refuse to shake an opposition captain's hand. No way. You can have as many arguments as you want on the pitch, but shake hands at the end. It's part of the sport. Whatever happens on the pitch, handbags or whatever, you show sportsmanship and you shake hands afterwards. He didn't do that. So I'm so glad we beat them. (laughs) (laughs) Players like that, I don't think it's acceptable. (laughs) Yes. I do like Jamar Lissa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of them walked in, but I went up to him to shake his hand, but he didn't want to. And he's their captain. There was a lot of that in the game, but okay, that's let's football. Just leave the captaincy thing. <laughs> that's that uh, so it's there's real bad blood between Newcastle and Arsenal now. Remember the last season there was Arteta was was doing his nut because they were wasting so much time at the Emirates, mm. and they didn't like that. Uh, and then I see uh, Arteta being described as unhinged by the Daily Telegraph's Luke Edwards, who compares Arteta to Kevin Keegan losing oh, yeah. the plot. Uh, you know, and and com- contrast him with the IC commander Eddie Howe, uh, who is completely uh, who just surveys everything. He's just taking a helicopter view and everything. You know, he's not. Uh, he doesn't get carried swept away by in these torrents of emotion, even though he manages the most emotional club. And maybe Mikel Arteta could learn something from that. Which I can just imagine Arteta's rage. <laughs> you know, he was. I hope somebody tells him about this. I hope that there's a press briefing. Oh, Mikel, uh, the Daily Telegraph. Say, <laughs> uh, you know, but but he obviously is under. He feels like he's under a lot of pressure here. You know, when you see City just cruising, they're into the cruising phase. Um, what was interesting uh, with all this fire talk, I was listening to Saturday Sport and RTE at the weekend, and they had David Goff, the GA ref in mm-hmm. the studio, who's a very articulate guy. He's giving good insights into refereeing and so on. But they're moving to different items they're doing, so they're into a soccer chat. And the ex-Ireland international Keith Tracy is one of the guests. He's then asked, because David Goff is there, he's asked, who's the best referee you ever had, Keith? Uh, the best one would probably be Howard Webb. We had him at uh, Preston Bournley, a, a big uh, big Lancashire derby. And I, I remember I, I was fouled during the game and I, I was sitting on my backside and I'm roaring and shouting at him saying it's a free and it's this and that. And he walked over and he stood me up and he said, Keith, relax, stop swinging your arms around, speak to me normal. And when I calmed down, I said to him, "We thought that was a foul. And he said, okay, maybe I got that wrong. I tell you what, next 50-50, I'll give it your way. And he just totally diffused me. And he's the only referee who ever just spoke to me and diffused me, called me by my name. He didn't call me number 11 or he or you. He, it was Keith, calm down. And absolutely brilliant, however. I thought he was excellent. Yeah. Like so there you go, Arsenal. You might get the next 50-50. <laughs> I don't think you will. Don't think that's the way Howard Webb is allowed to approach his PGMOL yeah. job. All the fourth official has to say to uh, Mikel Arteta, it's just... You know, recognise the man's humanity. That's all it is. Mikel, if you could just calm down for a second. Well, thank you for respecting me. <laughs> I, I feel respected now. Although, although one other thing I should say just before we move on from the Arsenal is that I, I do feel like these trips to Saudi Arabia and stuff have to stop, right? Stuart Burt was the assistant VAR uh, at this game and he was refereeing again. He was one of the guys who actually was in Abu Dhabi in the recent controversial trip, you know, that before the... Not Abu Dhabi, rather in the in the United Arab Emirates. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was out in Saudi Arabia, you know, refereeing uh, an Al Nasser game apparently in April. You know, like yeah. I, I feel I feel like this. They don't help themselves. No, no. And every time you you know that, that, that that's something I see all over. Oh, this guy was in Saudi, you know, and now here he is giving decisions to Newcastle. You know, 
Like that's a problem that they need to get on top of. You know, that, that, if I'm if I'm Howard Webb, I'm thinking, okay, like I'm going to have to ask the guys. I'm going to have to tell the guys this can't happen. You well, know? It's, a, it's literally by ten miles the easiest thing they can do. Yeah. Like uh, as a for, as a start, oh, because other. I mean, it does get more difficult when you say, "Could you guys ref a little better?" Yeah, yeah. Like that's basically the next step. But the first step you could definitely take is, "Can you please stop taking these nixers that make everything interest. these gigantic that present these gigantic conflicts of interest?" Yeah, completely. So, um, yeah. What what else? Um, the the I referred to Ogbeni already. Uh, his very good performance against Newcastle, one all draw for. Luton, another one of those, you've got to remember to play the whistle here, guys, moments in that, because Luton scored off a counter-attack from a, a moment when Liverpool were all protesting for a penalty. Oh, that's a penalty. And meanwhile, Luton are away. And nobody, uh, or it's too late to respond. You get Simikas uh, having the ball passed by him. And then the sight of little Alexis McAllister trundling back. Not, like I've seen it a lot this season. I've seen him getting booked a lot and also trundling backwards a lot. Neither, I mean, the both are, are reflective of this guy is not one of the quickest players in the Premier League. But I, I see the second one of those too much, I think. Um, the trundling. The, the, whenever he's, he's, I think he's very good on the ball and he's used it really quickly and his passing is usually very good. But he is not good going backwards. Like, you know, if, if if somebody gets past him, he's not a fit for that position at all, I think. I mean, he's he's useful. Like, he uses the ball well, but... Yeah. Like, they, they still... I, I, I mean, he obviously doesn't think much of Endo at this point. I mean, remember with Taro Endo, was, Endo was brought in. He just doesn't play in these Premier League games. Uh, that was a bit of a panic buy, though, wasn't it? It was after they lost some midfielders and well, we'll getting s- near the end of the window. Let's we'll see if he if he um, if he ends. I mean, McAllister was there already. You know what I mean? I suppose end up my play now that McAllister is suspended for the for the next game. But uh, yeah, like it, it still seems like a problem they haven't solved. I know there's there's talk of Andre who was playing in that Libertadores game. Maybe he's going to be coming in, but they do definitely need uh, another player there. I mean, it was it was one of those games where you're like, yeah, I think they're still just a bit short. Like, Liverpool should have won the game. They didn't win the game because mainly because Darwin Nunes missed an open goal. You know, it was one of those moments where you where you, you think, will I go and favorite some old tweets? Is <laughs> this the moment to favorite a few tweets that I've been getting in recent weeks? But I said, I said no. Wow, okay. I said no. I'm not. Wow. I'm, I'm not that kind of. You know, when was the last time you went on a uh, tweet favoring? Uh, favoriting. Oh, there uh, was a there was a big one. Spree. There was. I had an absolute. I went berserk doing it one time. <laughs> I'm trying. I can't remember what it was about though. But I, I was getting a, a You're lot. You're usually of pretty good at Jose Mourinho. I ended up favoriting like you know, hundred hundred tweets. tweets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Way it after the event. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember what it was about though. But ruff, ruff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but look, uh, yeah, you know, again. He's he's a little bit inconsistent. I mean, Eddie Nketiah, of course, mm-hmm. uh, didn't have a great game either. He's gone back down that ranking that you were talking about. Well, this week. is the thing, you know. You say things about players, and then they sometimes they prove you wrong. But then maybe the next week, week later, they, you know, maybe they come back and lick a bit of the pie off your face that they <laughs> smashed onto your face last week. You know what I mean? And that's just the way football is. You know, <laughs> they come back with a hose. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Ten Hag, for example. Yeah, he was. Um, uh, he was pieing me in the face. Yeah, on uh, Saturday. Yeah, he. Well, pie, I, I he would pie say, me in the I face. would say, just leave it where it is. 
there might, there's a clean up job going, going back your be way back to lick that off? well Bruno uh, Bruno already came back to wipe some of it off you know what I mean? For every ten hag, Ken, you've got a Bruno on the other side who you're defending the whole well, time. Well, Bruno, I was defending Bruno, me, you know, and I see that David De Gea was uh, on to Bruno. Bruno scored a great goal. I mean, it was a... There was diabolical defending, but... It, I mean, the, the whole move was just brilliant. <laughs> there were about seven chances to clear the ball. Everyone was just booting the ball into yeah. each other's faces and backs, <laughs> and the ball was ricocheting around. And then suddenly it fell to Bruno for the second time in the move. Yeah. Uh, and he just sent a couple of lights to the shops with one little swish. And then he did something which I think all the, anyone who's a young player looking to learn the game, right? Pass the ball into the net? Just don't. You don't need to kick the ball as hard as you can. <laughs> Just kick it at the goal and see what happens. Maybe it'll go in. A lot of goalkeepers aren't all they're cracked up to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just see if you can do that. I mean, if Fulham had done that, they probably would have been winning the game by the time the ball arrived to, to Bruno. Um, but, yeah, I saw David Hay afterwards. Uh, Bruno posted his his triumph picture at United with a emoji and De Gea commenting underneath you are not the right captain which I think means they must everyone is aware of the fact that Bruno has been questioned by uh, all of these uh, pundits and so on uh, <laughs> Brandon pointed out he's looking at De Gea's Instagram and uh, it's mainly just photos of De Gea training you know he's he's still without a club just training and going through routines and then underneath there's like a comment from Juan Mata saying bro you were number one <laughs> or like what is it two eres uno or, <laughs> um, and so on and so forth so Juan Mata at least has got uh, yeah eres el uno uh uh, you are the number one. And I get kicked out of second captains, Ken. I want you to comment six months later under an Instagram post of me just typing in, my, in front of my laptop with the really stand. obvious RT news at the end yeah, of the news. Just you, like when you announce, typing. Yeah. yeah, you announce your uh, your what's on uh, TV this weekend. Yeah, uh, on Substack. Sport that's for on TV. 15 euro, for just 15 euro a week, you can get delivered to your door <laughs> a list of the upcoming sporting events. Or a picture of you week. like looking through the the new books that you've got this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got a lot of great book mail uh, recently. Uh, so I recommend... Allow me to uh, uh, take you through I, some of the highlights. I'd listen to this, but I wouldn't uh, subscribe. But I'm listen. looking forward yeah. to this Napoleon movie this month. <laughs> <laughs> this, is that this month, the Napoleon movie? I can't wait for it. Yeah. Is it this month? Look that up there. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix yeah. plays Napoleon. I mean, Jesus. Um, so that was... Uh, Sign me up. We're Take my money. Oh, sorry. The other thing that I should have yeah. mentioned um, in relation to the Liverpool uh, Luton game, obviously the equalising goal was scored by Luis Diaz, who came on as a substitute. Yeah. And he put out a statement after the game. Today, it is not the footballer Luis Diaz speaking to you today. Lucho Diaz, the son of Luis Manuel Diaz, is speaking to you. Mane, my dad, is a tireless worker, the pillar of the family, and he has been kidnapped. I asked the ELN for the prompt release of my father, and I ask international organizations to have intervened for his freedom. Every second, every minute, our anguish grows. My mother, my brothers and I are desperate, distressed, and unable to find the words to describe what we are feeling. The suffering will only end when we get him back home. I beg you to release him immediately, respecting his integrity and ending this painful wait as soon as possible. In the name of love and compassion, we ask that you reconsider your actions and allow us to get him back. I thank Colombians and the international community for their support. Thank you for so many demonstrations of affection and solidarity in this very difficult time that many families in my country are experiencing. So it's just this crazy situation where his father is still being held. Um, 
Now, the ELN, the, which is the National Liberation Army, which is like, um, you know, a terrorist group uh, in Colombia, um, a guerrilla group, but is recognized as a terrorist group by the EU, um, kidnapped Luis Manuel Diaz nine days ago, is claiming that there are too many police in the area for them to let him go at the moment. Uh, so they, their statement says, on November 2nd, we informed the country of the decision to release Luis Manuel Diaz. From that day, we began the process to accomplish this as soon as possible. We are making efforts to avoid incidents with government forces. The area is still militarized. They are carrying out flyovers, disembarking troops, broadcasting and offering rewards as part of an intense search operation. This situation is not allowing for the execution of the release plan quickly and safely where Luis Manuel Diaz is not at risk. If operations continue in the area, they will delay the release and increase the risks. We understand the anguish of the Diaz-Marolanda family, to whom we say that we will keep our word to release him unilaterally as soon as we have security guarantees for the development of the liberation operation. I mean, I don't know why it's so complicated to release the guy. Uh, I'm not really sure what the... You know what, what? How that statement makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully this thing is going to happen, as they say, that he is going to be released. But until he actually is, then nobody knows because a lot of people have been abducted, and you know they haven't been. Uh, it hasn't ended well. The other thing is, uh, there was the uh, the big German match on the weekend, Der Klassiker, which, as is tradition, uh, was a total non-event. Um, as Bayern steamrolled Dortmund 4-0, the usual uh, type of thing. I mean, I remember the day when they played each other in the title race, the title run-in last season. It was like 3-0 to Bayern after 20 minutes. Um, they took a little bit longer to go 3-0 up this time, but uh, 4-0 as opposed to 4-2 as a result. Harry Kane scored a hat-trick. Harry Kane has 15 goals and five assists in 10 matches. Hotel life is really suiting. Yeah, well, apparently his hotel is 10 grand a night. What? Yeah. The Ken, Ten grand. The Kempinski Hotel. The Fear Yard site. Four Seasons Kempinski Hotel. Uh, 10,000 a night suite, apparently, is where Harry Kane is staying, according to... What's he getting paid a week? The Sun newspaper. <laughs> uh, what's he getting paid a week? How much More, of his weekly wage is he spending on this? Feeling that might be an add-on, Murph. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like... I mean, 10 grand a night is a lot. Like, Harry, That's... like you gotta, you got to get yourself into a house. You know? This is crazy. This is nuts, but he is playing very well. He's he's by far the His most trousers productive. are immaculately pressed every day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the sort of living you can, a man can get used to. You know, look at this trouser press. Well, he's he, you know the way he's playing. I mean, he didn't seem that excited ultimately to be joining Barn at the time, mm. and like he's playing as though he's not that excited. He's he's finishing chances as though he's in a training session, like he. Literally, it's like I uh, my pulse like hasn't budged above fifty five <laughs> all game. This is so you know this means nothing to me. I'll just, I'll stick it in the corner. There, bang, you know, none of this kind of stuff we saw in Qatar where he was blasting it over. Um, so yeah, it's going He's got great. Three hat tricks in ten Bundesliga games. It's a joke. He's running out of room in the hotel room. The uh, it's getting a bit tight. In the <laughs> no, ten thousand better suite said the Süddeutsche Zeitung. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the other story in Germany on was one that we mentioned last week, uh, which was Anwar Al-Ghazi has been sacked by uh, by his club Mainz. Right. So this standoff did end with him leaving the club. Just for the non-members listening today. 
Well, this because of El Ghazi uh, put up a post about the um, Israel-Palestine uh, uh, situation in which he used the phrase, used the slogan, from the river to the sea. Uh, the club told him to delete it, which he did. They then talked to him, and then they put out a statement saying, he's apologized, and he's he says he doesn't think any of those things. He's remorseful, all this, all this stuff. He then put up a post saying, I didn't do any of this. The, you know, I haven't changed my mind about this. You know, he did delete the post because mm. they told him at, the, at that point, and he did that, you know, fairly shortly after they, they told him. But he he didn't. They they then created the impression with their statement that he had sort of they'd spoken to him and he'd gone, oh well, if that's how things are out there, well, I think I've I've changed my mind about that. So he hasn't changed his mind. So he basically directly contradicted. Well, he said they they had lied effectively, and the result of that is that he no longer place for them. He puts his post up saying, stand for what is right, even if it means standing alone. The loss of my livelihood is nothing when compared to the hell being unleashed on the innocent and vulnerable in Gaza. Hashtag stop the killing. So that is, um, that's a pretty grim end to that story, although I don't think it really is the end uh, of the story. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Downtown! Just listen to the music of the traffic in Six the street. Six foot nine outside here! Yeah. On the sidewalk where the neon All rejected by Parker. How can you lose? Pops this shot! Nothing but net. You can't forget all your troubles. Coast to coast, by the Downtown. Things will be great when you're downtown. No final place for sure. Downtown. Everything's waiting for The Athletics, Mark Critchley and Miguel Delaney of the Independent, with us this week. Lads, hope you're both well. Well, good. Morning, thank you very much. Morning, Miguel. I know you love VAR talk, so I'll start this one with you. <laughs> Mikel Arteta felt sick and embarrassed watching the failure to rule out Newcastle's goal. Disgraceful is how he described it. How did you feel watching it? <laughs> um, feeling that we're going to be talking about this again <laughs> next time I'm on. No, um, it was obviously just not just one bad decision, but a few of them. Um, Do you think so? Well, I mean, I thought it was definitely a push, I have to say. Uh, but even before that, I thought Bruno Guimaraes, I thought it was amazing. 
that he stayed on the pitch. Oh, sorry. I thought you made a few bad decisions in the one moment. I, I was just, so because you know, there were three. So okay, tr- how, how many of the three decisions do you think were incorrect in on the, the goal? In the, well. in, the, in, the build, in the build up I, I, actually, the goal. To be, actually, to be fair, only one. I, I thought push. it was a push. Mm. Um, in terms of it going out of play or offside, I think both of those fair enough. But I did think it was a push. Um, all that said, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think the what actually happened was, or I don't think Arteta's response was commensurate with what happened. Um, but this feels like the, uh, the, the, this this is now a new challenge for the PGMOL to deal with. What about... Uh, it's, all, it's all coming down, coming, coming apart at the seams. What about the response to the response? I'm talking about Arsenal backing their manager and saying that the Premier League is the best league in the world with the best players, coaches and supporters, all of whom deserve better. Mark, I'm waiting for one of the clubs to come out with one of these uh, very commendable statements, you know, about the state of the game when their team is on the right end of a uh, game-defining <laughs> decision rather than when they feel they've been done. I think it's a very good point, Owen. Um, and, yeah, it's... Look, I think that the way that PGML have gone about it this season, well, certainly since Howard Webb stepped, uh, basically took charge, they've obviously gone down this route of a greater transparency, a greater openness. I, I do wonder whether that has just opened the door a little bit and invited clubs to 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 give them a target to aim at. Basically, you know, the Arsenal statement mentioned Howard Webb by name, and I know it, it wasn't accusing him of anything, but I, I feel like this kind of PGMOL have almost created this sense that they're there to be shot at now and you, whereas things like well in the Liverpool example you could understand it whereas that was because that was the correct decision being reached and yet the system just totally breaking down and failing um, and you know I, I personally I totally understood when Jurgen Klopp came out afterwards and said what he said and and I, I could understand why Liverpool would release a statement um, on this occasion that just feels it, 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 it. There was nothing conclusive about this, right? You've just asked there about three separate incidents that were part of the, all this, of this one goal. I don't think any of them you could say are absolutely conclusively, um, you know, wrong. Uh, they're all subjective, and the fundamental thing about the football rule book has always been that it's it's full of subjective grey areas that people will disagree about. Um, and yeah, I just wonder whether. Allowing them to opening themselves up to greater scrutiny has inevitably um, led some clubs to to take it a step further and start to go on the record and and you know essentially pub- publicly accuse them of not being good enough at their jobs. Which you know we can say <laughs> I don't think I don't think the standard of officiating hasn't been great this season, but this is this is a kind of landscape that we were never really in before and. I, I think you know the clubs need to look at themselves before they release further statements like this when there isn't conclusive evidence to suggest that an official's been wrong. But also, I, I, yeah, go on, Miguel. I, I'm, not, I'm genuinely not sure about this, this whole debate about this, the standard officiating has ever been lower. Surely this is all a consequence of actually just we get to see absolutely everything with everything mm, scrutinised. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I bet if we look back at 30 years ago the, the, or whatever, the the amount like it, it's probably broadly similar. In fact, there's an argument it would probably be actually be worse um, because there, it, it isn't so exacting all the time. Now, I suppose the flip side of that is you could argue that all these constant cameras and the potential for review maybe makes referees too cautious or whatever, second-guess themselves. But you'd have to think that has some sort of sharpening effect. 
Yeah, well, I mean, definitely. Uh, I mean, I don't want to reiterate something we've talked about billions of times already, which is the whole <laughs> effect of you can't really see everything perfectly as a referee, blah, blah, blah. I happened to see just this morning, well, as I was like lying in bed, a clip of Ben Thatcher elbowing Pedro, Men- Pedro Mendes that time. Um, some one of these aggregator accounts had tweeted, "Oh, this is terrible," and you know it's the one where Thatcher runs in and absolutely levels Pedro, Pedro Mendes, like kind of a similar one to Bruno Guimaraes um, against Jorginho, but like times a million, and like lays him out and he's unconscious, and. The referee runs up and gives him a booking, like amidst this big brawl. He's like, yeah, that's definitely a yellow card. I think Mendes or Thatcher ended up getting banned for like eight or nine games as a result. But the the commentator who can see it is like, oh, I think this is definitely a yellow card. You know, so like there is, there's obviously a cultural, uh, there's obviously cultural evolution uh, in the game or whatever. But one of the things that, that we had been talking about earlier was how interesting the audio would be from this Arsenal goal, just in terms of how they managed to sort of litigate all those decisions and come down in Newcastle's favour each time. There was a guy, uh, I saw some quotes uh, recently from the IFAB secretary and chief executive, Lucas Brud, who was on the BBC radio um, saying that they've got no plans to allow people to listen to the audio. And the justification he gave for that was, um, well, there was two, basically. One, it's quite a chaotic situation, the communication between match officials during reviews. Quite a chaotic situation. There's many people talking at the same time. I think it would be counterproductive for anyone to listen to all these voices talking to each other, he says, which is, I mean, I don't know. Try it on the audience. I think the audience might be, <laughs> might, might be look, actually quite enjoy working out who was saying what. But the other um, thing that he says, besides just, the, oh, this is confusing to people, is... Um, Football is different. I mean, because people are like, well, they do it in rugby. What's the problem? Football is different because everyone is putting a magnifying glass on every decision. Every single word would then be analyzed in the media and it would create a very unsafe environment for referees. They need to feel safe when they are focused on decision making. What do you what do you make of that, Mark? Do you think it would be unsafe? Um, I think perhaps the spotlight is greater for, for referees in football. So it, def- it definitely think, is. But like, yeah. it, you know, I mean, is that not just part of of being a, a referee in football. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the suggestion, the transparency, actually hearing what they were doing would make people want to tr- threaten them with death. <laughs> well, we heard, we heard what was going on in the bar on <laughs> the Liverpool incident, and I don't think people's reactions to that was too kind. I don't know if it went that far. But I, I guess, look, the, the, the problem is that the spotlight, as I mentioned, is so great. The, the scale of the game as well, and especially in this country, is so vast. You know, in in England, you have divisions stretching down to you know ten, ten, eleven tiers of football, which all require um, not obviously a professional, but somebody who understands the rules of the game in the middle, and a couple of us on the sideline who are able to officiate it every weekend. And if you have a culture that almost not encourages, but takes abuse of officials as a given, then you start to have a problem of uh, procurement, let's say. Like, you know, you can't actually get enough people to sustain this this uh, this pyramid that you've built for yourself. And I think that is a real and and uh, kind of present danger that, that English football has got at the minute. You only have to say, I'm personally, you know, I sport a lower league team and whenever I go down, I'm always kind of amazed that these guys who are willing to put themselves up for the abuse every week 
Um, which team is it? It's the same. Mike, which, which who are you biased? For? Uh, my team is Chorley, oh, Chorley in in the in the National League North. Yeah, but I was actually down even further. I was I was watching a game the other weekend down in uh, I think it was it's the ninth tier. I think. Um, yeah, the, 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 there are people there, and these are not you know these are not small games. These are not games with very little riding on that people don't care about. There was about two thousand people at the game that I was at. It was West Didsbury and Chorlton versus Berry. Um, obviously, Berry have moved down the divisions. You know, there's there's huge crowds at these games. There's a lot of um, focus and attention on them, and so I can understand to a degree why when you have Premier League clubs coming out and you know making it kind of open season on officials to to criticize the decisions, and like I say, basically accuse them of incompetence. That that will have a, a, a trickle down effect further down the league, and I think that's fair enough. Although, yeah. look, I, when it comes to the communication side of things, I think. It's like we said last time, when you hear what's going on in the VAR room, it needs to be a lot more clear and concise. And I think uh, that way mistakes are, are avoided. And when the audio is released, people can understand what they're hearing rather than three blokes having a conversation like they're in a fish and chip shop. You know? It's all, Miguel, it's like the statement from the stuff from Arsenal, you know, this, as Mark says there, this kind of stuff does make it open season. Not only did they not censure their manager in any way for his comments, they backed him, but in a, in a vague enough way at the same time. PGMOL urgently needs to address the standard of officiating and focus on action which moves us all on from retrospective analysis, attempted explanations and apologies. I mean, I don't actually know what that means. Like, what If you're going to say the referees are shite, you've got to <laughs> m- offer some sort of you know, some sort of constructive uh, ideas as, as to how to make them better. I mean, it just felt a bit like venting, really. Um, or someone shouting, ref! Yeah. Um, a club shouting, but, ref! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, but as well as that, I mean, after all that, I thought it was quite conciliatory towards uh, Howard Webb at the end, <laughs> basically hammering his organization or what he's in charge of. But Howard, you're okay. Um, and I mean, yeah, it, uh, it's difficult not to see what the uh, <laughs> what the point of it was beyond just kind of well, it, it felt a bit. Here. It felt a bit like to me, like um, almost like you know the way Mourinho at Madrid used to used to. Um, screaming yeah. about, uh, oh, I'm I'm the only one out here going to bat for this club. No one ever says anything. Valdano was useless. He didn't speak for me. Conte was doing the same thing Spurs, at Tottenham. Yeah. You know, oh, they don't. No one ever says anything. It 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 felt as though Arteta. Well, I don't know whether Arteta has done this, but kind of as though the club were trying to mollify him more than anything else. He'd obviously come out with his. <laughs> incredible comments post match. Just it's way above what you usually. That's what get I mean. So from a club's point of view, you you, you probably feel you have to come out one way or the other. You know what I mean? Are yeah. we going to are we going to say, Mikhail, you've gone too far? We're going to publicly rebuke you, or are no. we backing you as the guy who might lead us to a Premier League title? And therefore, everything you say goes. They were trying. They were. They. I think they were kind of trying to sort of soothe him a little bit. Yeah. Okay. One of the reasons. I, I mean, and obviously. They they did benefit from a from a decision themselves. I mean, I don't. Want to, this is we're going to stop talking about decisions now. But the the Howard's thing, uh, he easily could have been sent off uh, at that point. So they got a bit lucky there. Um, but you know, maybe part of the reason they were so annoyed, or Arteta was so annoyed, aside from what you know, the disgrace of what he thought was done to their team by the referee, was Arsenal really didn't play very well. Yeah, and also I do I do wonder about that. How much the frustration isn't so much informed by the decision. But what they know the consequences of decision are, which is basically they're in, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're in a league where basically anything dropped against City uh, is potentially decisive, even at this early stage. That That's kind of the, the wider context informing everything, but I, I think right back to the end of the season. Um, 
and all this discussion of whether of Arsenal bottled it and all this because I I think they felt the pressure, but not much, not so much because of where they are as a team, because of um, the the awareness of what it would mean in the race for City. And similarly this season, I mean, in a I suppose in a Premier League where seventy nine points wins a title, suddenly these these decisions actually don't mean as much. Um, but when it's you've got to get to eighty nine ninety. They mean it. They do mean a lot more, and it, even though it's as early as February or as November, sorry, it it did feel as if that was that was a little bit part of the reaction here, especially given what we what everyone was just seeing just beforehand yeah. with City destroying Palace. City have moved clear. Well, moved clear at the top. Of the, not clear actually, because Tottenham have a game in hand and are already one point behind. And, yeah, so so Tottenham uh, still could be top of the league tonight, but City are the top scorers in the league. They have the best defense in the league. They tore Bournemouth uh, to tiny little pieces yesterday, uh, or not yesterday, Mark, on Saturday. And this guy, Jeremy Docker, looks pretty good. Seldom have I watched a a performance as phenomenal as that and just sat there thinking, poor Jack. I mean, this is is, is grim for him. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I think, you know... uh, I don't know. I, I've come on this podcast over the last couple of seasons and you've asked me questions about Jack Grealish and I've always been at pains to point out, look, he's never really scored that many goals in his career. Um, he's never really made a lot of assists. Um, he, obviously at Villa, he was much more kind of, he was the focal point of that team and everything went through him. But, you know, he's never really been that type of player. So to expect anything else of him is a bit unfair. And then Doku comes in and is just explosive from minute one, basically. Um you know, he's not looking to, when he's got the ball on the wing, he's not looking to turn back inside and pass it back to Rodri or pass it back to the centre-back. He's taking people on and he's going at them. And um, that's, it's, it's a huge difference. You know, I think everybody expected that of Doki when he came in, having you know, seen bits of him with Belgium, having heard about what he, how he played around in France. Um, I think people thought okay this is an explosive winger who's going to dribble at people and and be direct and it's exactly what Guardiola hasn't wanted his wingers to do over the last few years so he'll go through the meat grinder he'll go through that cookie cutter and he'll become a Guardiola winger but he's that's exactly the opposite of what's happened um you know Pep's one thing that always stuck with me was Pep always says that what he looks for in players is the ability to dribble so he does actually you know, admire that. He wants players who are able to take people on. He wants people who are able to beat a man. Um, why he <laughs> seems to coach out of Grealish, I don't know. But uh, Doku, also go, Doku absolutely has, yeah, 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 he's absolutely done that. And going back the other way, Mark, I, I, I didn't see the full 90 minutes, but it looked to me like the two, the VAR goal, the goal that was ruled out for offside, the Bournemouth goal, and the goal that was scored. In both cases, I had a look at Doku. He didn't seem too interested in, in, in tracking back at any <laughs> sort of great pelt. You know what I mean? It, it, again, the kind of stuff that Grealish has just had to do under Guardiola. Yeah, well, tracking back's one part of it. I think it's also just a general kind of cautiousness and a general safety. You know, it's always about control, right? It's always about um, maintaining that dominance over the team, especially in a game like Saturday where you're already, you know, three or four up and you don't need to, you don't, you don't, you don't necessarily need to worry about attack, but it's about, it is about preventing those counterattacks. And I think that's been a huge part of what has informed Grealish's game over the past two seasons. You know, you've heard him talk about it in those, he, he seems to do a post-match interview, sorry, like a post-title parade interview, doesn't he, on Sky uh, each of the last two seasons. And he's, he's spoken about this, how Guardiola's made different demands of him. Um, but 
yeah, Doku just seems. I, I think <laughs> there's got to be a Simpsons meme about this, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> Grealish doing everything demanded, and then looking at the new guy. Yeah, just yeah. Allowed... <laughs> Frank Grimes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Simpson. I can do that. Um, yeah, no, no. Uh, I think look, I think Doku has what's really impressed and Pep was speaking about this after the game on Saturday is that what's really impressed him is just his decision making so I think that might be the key difference really it's almost like Doku knows when to take on a man knows that this will is the right moment this you know that for the team he isn't really sacrificing anything he isn't leaving them vulnerable in behind or whatever um whereas that has never really been you know it's not become a second nature to Grealish and I think that's maybe the biggest difference between the two although at the same time like we only had the derby last week and, and he, he started Grealish over Docky because certain games will demand uh, a presence that is, is that more of that control that he wants. But um, yeah, Docky is definitely making it, making life a bit difficult for him at the moment. Miguel, Sky Sports do a good job, very good job at Monday Night Football. I think a lot of people watch it for the analysis. Often they don't have the most glamorous games in that time slot. There's been a lot of Fulham lately. I'm just looking back through some of the matches. Forrest Burnley was one earlier in the season. So it is nice to have Spurs against Chelsea tonight. This is one to look forward to, particularly with the Pochettino factor. What way do you think this is going to go? Uh, I slightly fancy Chelsea here, actually. Really? Uh, just, yeah, for a few reasons. Actually, just on, on the Monday night fixtures, surely that's a consequence of basically half the team has been in Europe in one form or another. Yeah. Um, and this being a rare season when, where Spurs and uh, and Chelsea aren't. Uh, but, I mean, Spurs, I'm sorry, Chelsea have been very, well, first of all, on the Spurs side, it's obviously gone brilliantly. What we're ten games in now, you would think just by sheer law of averages, which I feel, which I feel isn't the most um, <laughs> isn't the most scientific analysis, but I mean it, it, that's got that's got to end at some point. But on the other side, maybe more relevantly, because um, I do think Spurs are on a bit of a wave as good as Postecoglou is, like just two parts of it there. But also for all Chelsea's problems this season, they have been better against the um, wealthier clubs. Or the old, the, what was supposed to be considered the old big six rivals. Their defeats have come against, like, usually at home against what people consider inferior sides. And I do wonder, just as Pochettino was trying to get this team together, whether that is because just playing a better side who will naturally impose their game just allows a bit more clarity in what they can do on the night. And that helps. Um, funny, I, like, uh, Jacob Steinberg in his uh, piece on yesterday from Pochettino's press conference on Friday pointed to how uh, there were his record now Pochettino at Chelsea is actually very similar to what it was in, at Spurs after the same amount of games there when he came in 2014. Yeah, with the difference uh, and, of, he, of the... Yeah, yeah. Come on, you know, it's, he's under... Well, yeah, but, but I, I suppose the, the, the point there more being kind of the time it takes for his approach to come in. And there were some good performances early on in that. But then, but then also, I mean... <laughs> There are there are at least some comparables to to now and that to Chelsea now and that Spurs team. Obviously not money spent, but then the money is a bit like the way the the money spent on fees isn't the same as spent on wages. Kind of which kind of creates this weird perception. That, I mean, the thing with Chelsea at the moment is what they're actually doing has literally never been seen in the history of football. It is one grand experiment, um, and for Pochettino himself. It's almost going from extreme to extreme. At PSG, obviously, he had the um, so having to having to manage and placate 
all these stars, which meant he couldn't play his football. And now it's the complete opposite, where it's just basically, you know, as someone, someone from within Chelsea put to me, a bunch of kids, uh, no, ma- no matter how much they cost. And it's about trying to hone that. Um, that that does bring its own challenges, and already like, there's been a bit of a recalibration. I was there on the on the on Pochettino's opening press conference back in July when we you know, sat down in Stamford Bridge, and he was going about, oh, "This is Chelsea. You, you have to win straight away." Well, I mean, he's realising that it was very much the old Chelsea, not this one. Um, but and, and now they have to think about kind of maybe just trying to get back into the top four this season. But but for all of that, I I just fancy them to kind of set up against Postacoglu's Spurs and frustrate him a little bit. Like, I'd, I'd actually be... I mean, I'd probably lean towards a draw, actually, rather than a, a Chelsea win. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, just a few, a few things coming together there. Well, I don't know. I mean, they're 13th in the league, Miguel. I mean, they're, they're 10 points behind Villa, who are, in, who are in fifth. I mean, like, their chances of getting back in there, at this point, are minimal. Well, I mean, but that's that, that, that's a different conversation to Monday night's game, though. Um, so, and, and I think that could be a bit of a theme of the season where Chelsea have these occasional big results and then just lose to some to someone mid table or below. Well, I mean, what we've, <laughs> it's been the story already so far, and even their big results, to be fair, it has been two draws at home: one against Arsenal, one against Liverpool. And I think did they lead in both of them? They led um, against Arsenal, but I. But yeah. not against. I think they were two 0 up against Arsenal, but yeah. they were one 0 down against Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying they're going to get top four. They, they, they might not even get Europe at all. So we have them back on Monday Night Football more regularly next season. <laughs> but in terms of tonight's game, I, I, yeah, I think it's a bit more on the balance than people would think from the league position. Then, of course, there's going to be the whole emotional swell about Pochettino's return. Although, it, it, I mean, it does feel that won't matter as much. Just because you know, um, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Spurs are loving Ange instead. Yeah, and and <laughs> uh, and I mean, Ange was asked a bunch of weird questions about, oh, you know, when you, you your ex comes to visit, and he's kind of he was a bit freaked out by this kind of ex line of inquiry. Although he all he said repeatedly was just Pochettino was great manager of Spurs. Everybody here loves him. You know. That's it. Like, <laughs> what more do you want me to say? Pochettino is a more forthcoming in his uh, <laughs> in his press conference. Mark, I don't. I mean, his quotes. Some of them are. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Pochettino was like, uh, "Oh, I cannot lie. The feeling is not the same here at Chelsea." I'm kind of like, you, should, "You need to lie there. You know, you can <laughs> you can lie there. You, you, it's it's okay to tell a little white lie about you know oh, this this is a new chapter." He kind of was talking about, "Oh, maybe I could go back to manage Tottenham. I didn't choose to leave there. You know, maybe I'd still be there if they hadn't sacked me." It was sort of like, "Shut shut up, Pochettino." I mean, it's it seemed to me not the comments. Fair play to him, I suppose, for being honest. But this isn't the kind of thing you say to to play up to the Chelsea fan base. No, and I think that you, that has been part of the difficulty that he's found so far is maybe you know winning over those supporters and and proving to them that you know he's the guy for the long term. I think he is. We, we know about Pochettino. He's you know he's a crystals guy, isn't he? He's um, you know the whole the whole lemon <laughs> thing, magic <laughs> lemons, exactly the magic lemons. He's got if you're going to lead him down that path to you know give quite a wistful and romantic answer, he's probably going to give you one. So um, no, he could have probably thought about that a little bit better. But I don't know. I kind of agree with Miguel's analysis. To be honest, I think every time I see Chelsea this season, you look at them and you think 
there's 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 a nucleus of a team that might actually be quite good uh, there at some point, but it will probably be this time next year or the year after that, and that traditionally hasn't been the way that things work at at Chelsea, and so therefore you know whether he's going to be given the time to to do that um, is a completely different question. I like even despite the huge gap in the table tonight, I really don't think it's. It's a foregone conclusion. I, I see them causing a lot of problems for Tottenham, just as they caused problems for Arsenal a few weeks ago. Are you both under, underestimating how well game. Spurs are going, though? I mean, this is the they're the only unbeaten team in the league, Mark. Yes, I mean, I'd say that I, you can't deny that how how well they've started and the impact that uh, Postecoglou's had. But you know, you look at some of the wins that they've they've, they've had. They've come against. Uh, I'm thinking now Liverpool, Arsenal, and. Um... Manchester. Liverpool. No, I they think, sorry, you know. they didn't beat Arsenal, but they 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 came <laughs> back to us. Uh, no, no, the the Liverpool is obviously a little bit of an asterisk on that one, not totally, but a little bit of one. Um, but yeah, the, and then most of the other ones have been what Bournemouth, uh, Burnley, United. Sheffield United, um, Luton. You know, uh, Crystal Palace. That last week, you know, Crystal Palace is always a really difficult place to go. You go there, you win, and you leave basically, and that's that's how it works there. So, um, but I would say that the fixture list has maybe been a little kind to them so far. Um, yeah, look, you can't deny that they've, they've made a really impressive start. Mm. It's just at the same time, you see City clicking into gear. You know, you see City with Rodri back, with John Stones back, and this title race that everybody was talking about this time last week, where there's like three points separating the top four or five sides. Um, like it's hard not to already just think <laughs> I know Tottenham could be top of the league by the time a lot of people listen to this but it's hard not to think that <laughs> a lot of the teams aren't just don't have that level to, to match City yeah just on the fixture list I know our friend John Giles came up with one to suggest the fixture list doesn't matter it doesn't matter. you have to play everybody at some stage mm. over the course of a season that's fine but actually sometimes if you're a team like Spurs in the situation with a new manager you get this nice run at the start you get the results out of it, which is what they've done. And suddenly you're feeling great about yourself. You're yeah. feeling a lot more confident when the stiffer tests are to come. And funny enough, Palace was mentioned there by Mark as an example of the other way around. Poor old Patrick Vieira had to play like all the hardest teams in the league. It was struggling a bit, wasn't going great. But, you know, I'm sure they would have been fine if they'd stuck with him. And he gets a boot. Hodgson comes in, beats a, lo- beats a load of stiffs <laughs> and then gets a new contract for the next season. So it is important. And maybe Spurs will will get the confidence from that. But I know you wanted to ask, Ken. You want, you've cast your well, net further afield. Well, I mean, you know, on Saturday night, I mean, I was looking, as is my wont, just uh, scrolling uh, Twitter, which is basically what I just do all the time now. And uh, <laughs> well, about, well, not contributing. It was no, well, no, I don't, I don't want to contribute. I wouldn't get involved in this, but I, I am hypnotized <laughs> by this uh, bin fire of the world. And so uh, I noticed that about twenty-five to thirty-five percent of the tweets were mocking peop- the kind of people who would watch the Copa Libertadores final. You know, like these Madri drinking kind of people. You know, you know that sort of text block where it's going on. They probably have a decent coffee maker of some kind. You know, the, this, yeah. t- this, the, these, <laughs> these people. And you know, I'm actually not someone who would generally watch the Copa Libertadores final because I've already watched like three or four matches the same day, and I'm kind of thinking like I feel empty. You know, I feel like a husk. But then I thought, you know what? I'm actually going to stick this on. You know, I'm annoyed by this <laughs> now. I'm actually annoyed. And I and I am going to watch the couple of Bordeaux's final. And I think it might actually be good. And I turned it on. And I was immediately transfixed by how amazing it was. Like, it was brilliant. And, okay, part of it is, like, it's American. Uh, it looks great. It's summer. You know, it's kind of, it, it just looks a lot nicer than this cold and wintry uh, evening where I actually am. 
but the football itself was like not of a very high standard compared to you know the the you know if we talk about the level and so on you know it wasn't wasn't great but it was incredible to watch i just thought this is like <laughs> this chaos that i'm watching there was a red card for either team there was extra time a guy was sent off for celebrating his goal in extra time you know the <laughs> there was so much you of this call john kennedy I just, john kennedy i mean who, who who will ever forget john kennedy and i thought this is this is amazing i'm if i feel like i'm kind of looking you know it was that uh, interstellar meme i'm like matthew mcconaughey <laughs> yeah. looking back into the past at this like vanished world of football that I no longer have access to. I don't know if you felt any of this kind of nostalgia. I know because I know that you did uh, watch a bit of this game yourself. What did you what did you make of the the riot of the Libertadores? I turned it on for the I basically turned it on just before uh, uh John Kennedy scored in extra time and had exactly the same reaction as you to the whole thing. Um you know those kind of Twitter accounts that are like return to trad uh, and they used like the V for the it's like it's like all about like classical Roman architecture and stuff like that um, yeah yeah it, it it just it made me feel like this what is this lost world that you know there was the, the clip um, I saw the, the morning after of uh, somebody had clipped up a, a run by Andre the Fluminense uh, midfielder um, he's been linked with Liverpool and was pointing out how this guy's, you know, progressing through the thirds or whatever and uh, carrying, ball carrying up the pitch and all that shit, basically. But in the middle of this clip, there was just two other players grappling in the centre circle on the floor. That actually reminded me. I, I remember I went to an international rules game, Ireland and Australia in 2004. Obviously, I didn't really care about the result. It was just on the beer for the day. But I remember that exactly that happening. Basically, just... Um, you know, a fight breaking out in the middle of the pitch as as play proceeded down the other end. Yeah. Um, but but in this case, yeah, a, a, a very pleasing chaos to it. Sorry, go on, Mark. I just don't. I, what I wonder is where did we go wrong? You know, what what was the departure <laughs> point of where suddenly you know Premier League football? As much as we talk about it, as much as we obsess over it, and you know, sit around, we've, we've just spoken about it for half an hour. But I don't know. Whenever you watch a game now, it just feels a lot more sanitized than than that did and i don't want a, you know maybe maybe I'm, I'm sure every game of south american football isn't like that you know um i'm sure there are ones that are much more like the fair that we get offered up in the premier league every week but i don't know something about that just took me back to about 20 years ago where things were just better you know <laughs> yeah. am i getting oh, older yeah you are yeah well, I, I think there is the element, whatever about the uh, wanton violence, um, in terms of how it's played, like it's there's obviously they're actually reaping the benefits from uh, actually lack of resources in football in that, um, in, a, in a weird way, in that they obviously most of South America and actually particularly Argentina, which has gone through basically, despite being world champions, has gone through you know, repeated kind of philosophical debates, philosophical internal debates about where their game is headed, what they do. They don't have the European Academy structure, but then it's almost gone full circle in that one of the regular complaints now in European football, and um, to name drop horrifically here, one thing I interviewed Wenger about two months ago is just how, how clean the Academy system is making the game how kind of systemized it's making it, how everything's subsuming to the collective, it's creating too many players that are the same. 
It means in, in the kind of the most individualist positions like centre half and centre forward, I've seen the same thing. And and this this whole game was it felt like a kind of a, an exhibition to the opposite of that. Even like I mean, what, one of the most amazing things about it, I thought, was just some of the decisions that players were taking all over the pitch. Um, that we just don't see anymore, which which made it obviously stand out all the more. Can you give an example? I mean, like, when well, first of all, shots from anywhere. Yeah. Uh, some some of the kind of completely pointless, or felt like pointless, um, things they were trying to beat a player, uh, but that still kind of ultimately decorated the game. Also, there was one moment, I think, was early in the first half, Lemonense just kind of passed the ball in their own six-yard box. And I know people will immediately talk about Roberto De Zerbi, yeah. but this was different because it just... It, it wasn't that same kind of systemized bait the press. It was just basically... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it was doing it for a, t- a totally opposite reason. And it, it, did, it did feel like it had a freedom that we don't really see in European football anymore. And also part of it is, I mean, for everyone, you know, slagging off hipster football and all that, part of it actually is the variety and the vitality of it. I mean... Look, obviously, because it's South America, it's going to be different anyway. Uh, but it just felt quite refreshing compared to the sameness of the of the even the latter stages of the Champions League that we're seeing. Every where it's the same storylines, the same clubs. Um, even even some of the discussion we've had today, you know, back to refs, back to City's dominance. Uh, whereas this was, you know. Something different. Something being lost in football. Well, they need to end like, video. Like, we need to end video doping in football. They shouldn't be allowed to watch <laughs> videos anymore. It's ruining the game, and basically, it should just be no, no training, no coaching allowed. Just go out there and win the bloody football. Well, listen, there was plenty of that last year at Stamford Bridge when Chelsea and Spurs played each other. No shortage of vitality in that right. one. So we'll see if we get a bit of a repeat <laughs> of that tonight. Thanks, lads. Thanks for chatting. Thanks, guys. So, Fiat asked that question. Pretty strange. Yeah, very disappointed, yeah, but there you go. What have I become? My sweetest friend. I mean, at the time I thought that you were completely in the right. Everyone I know. But now I think. She just played in, just played in. I'm surprised you're really asking that question. No, but it doesn't matter really what you think. Yeah, you weren't there at the time. You weren't an international player. And you hadn't had the frustrations I had. Played at the international level, a million miles away. and you hadn't been accused of taking an injury. So, I will keep what you think doesn't really matter. I would find a way. So you enjoyed the Copa Libertadores, then kind of oh. throwback. Oh, it was it was glorious, it really was. And like, look, you know, nostalgia. On. It ain't what it used to be. Well, I was looking at the um, today. There was a <laughs> someone uh, I, I can't even remember. It may have been the BBC themselves. Just put up fifteen minutes of of Don Revy era Leeds. Oh, 
Oh, how much of this gold do they have in their archive? <laughs> Just put it all on YouTube, please. Actor and screenwriter Colin Welland gets a look behind the scenes at his beloved Leeds United. During a toast at a banquet in honour of the 1972 FA Cup winners, the proud Lancastrian and rugby league diehard explains what it is about this Yorkshire football club that appeals to him. And so it's like 15 minutes of Big Jack, Gilesy, Billy Bremner uh, and all the lads. There's a scene of, of, of Big Jack and Billy Bremner sitting in the pub with like a table full of pints playing dominoes. <laughs> and Colin Welland says this. Imagine a Pelle or a Eusebio or even the best playing dominoes three times a week in the pub with the lads. You really cannot imagine a Pelle. <laughs> uh, he then, like a couple of minutes later, is being soaped down by Don Revy, you know? I've had the unfortunate privilege of seeing this, uh, and it doesn't get... It's, it sounds weird. It looks a lot weird. I have seen a lot of footage. There's a lot of clips Don of Don Revy massaging people. Massaging people, rubbing people. them down, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's a lot of rubble there. Hands on. He's <laughs> just not getting in. And, he, and he's sweating so much, and they're both he's so... So happy, yeah. yeah. Both the guy who's getting rubbed and Revy himself just looks so <laughs> delighted yeah. with the whole thing. And you kind of you kind of look at it and think, maybe you know. I mean, I'd, I've never been rubbed like that, <laughs> you know. But I, I, it's, I haven't. It shows haven't your manager this. cares. It really, it definitely. I'm, I'm you've, really, second, you've never had a massage in your life done by not, a professional, not, not a so, not a masseuse. soap massage by by a football manager. Yeah. No, it, doesn't, it wouldn't have no, to be a football manager. It's true. Any massage I've ever had, it's never involved soap. No. And if I were to see soap, I would be inclined to say, hold on Will a that second not dry here. my skin? Let's just talk through the what I've actually signed up for here. Can <laughs> yeah. we just, just so we go into this with our eyes wide open. But he, he, he's introducing them with the, sorry, no, Colin Will. He's a Lancastrian, of course. Uh, and he rugby league the man's game they play down the road he says but uh, <laughs> he's introducing the, and you know that leads that leads team had a bit of an image problem as well because the, the fake media mm. obviously was was against them but they had a bit of an image problem but you know well why, why don't I even call him well Hunter the hard man he once came home with a leg battered bruised and bitten he was worried he couldn't remember whose it was <laughs> yes. to me they're not just great footballers their mates Billy Bremner with a smashing Scottish wife who loves Yorkshire there's no accounting for taste Paul Maidley and the players who've created so much of the spectacle and the drama Big Jack who looked through me after they'd lost to Wolves last season I just didn't see you told me I was that choked Eddie Gray Alan Clark Peter Lorimer and the rest the legend about them is one of cold efficiency but the truth is, they're essentially human. And their frailties and their vulnerability to stress make my affection for them all the stronger. Essentially human. Oh, More or less. Love that <laughs> for the most part, they're almost exclusively human. <laughs> Can I just say, by the way, Mark, because you did a little drive-by on Colin Meany recently, what movie was that we were talking about? Uh, Con Air. Con Air, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just to say, I was watching when we were interviewing Michael Sheen recently for the radio show and I was watching The Damned United again. Yeah. There's a bit at the end of The Damned United when they show a bit of real footage of Don Revy or whatever. Yeah. My wife was like, what? That, that is Colomini. They're the same person. She was like, <laughs> what an unbelievably convincing Colomini portrayal. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure. Revy. Or I'm they sure. just looked a bit like each other when the hair was... Yeah, yeah Rebecca didn't recognise Don Revy with his top on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> massaging. There wasn't enough massaging in that movie, actually. No, but Anyway, there listen, there was more about Brian Clough. Speaking of Revy. movies... Yeah. On Napoleon, directed by Ridley Scott. Oh, yeah. November 22nd, 2023. 
for well, the release date. I mean, that's that's just two weeks away. Uh, well, it will be on Apple TV Plus at a later date. I'm going to say not that much later. Can early movie review on the way? Yeah. yeah. Of course, it, it will be able to hold a candle to the 1927 release <laughs> of all Gans. Which? It was the, the great lost masterpiece of uh, 1920 cinema. Why is it lost? Uh, oh, it, it, because it was... It was they tried to shoot it basically a seven-hour movie. Yeah. Abelgan said, Napoleon, can't tell Latin, any less than seven. Yeah. So the movie kind of went out of uh, commission and then it came back at a movie festival in California in 1980. They wheeled out Abelgan's, like 93 years old, wow. to get the acclaim of the crowd. So the, the, la- the climactic finale, the battle scene at the end, he reckoned you couldn't film the battle scene with just one camera. So his idea was put three cameras side by side, film. So basically, it was the first like, like wide, uh, but super super widescreen. The ratio, you know, the ratio is usually like point three three to one or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was like four to one is the ratio. It's like absolutely gigantic all the way across the screen. Yeah. So that was so it was it, uh, f- the movie was full of such innovations at the time wow did they actually make this movie yeah they did yeah what's it called Napoleon <laughs> now, and it's an interesting question uh, uh, Ken because of course of course Stanley Kubrick spent a large part of his career uh, trying to shop a, a Napoleon biopic as well never got met one of the great unmade movies who, who, in sorry, who, who was Stanley it? Kubrick Kubrick oh yeah, yeah gentleman by the name of Stanley Kubrick you've probably heard of him Ken that's pretty Sir, Sir Guy uh, Bondarchuk of course managed to Managed to do a couple. Uh, Napoleon movies. Yes. I haven't seen them. You haven't seen Waterloo? No. Ah, come on. No, I mean, I'm sorry, I haven't. Waterloo, it's got Christopher Plummer as the Duke of Rome. Want to save some of this for the Napoleon show in a couple of weeks? Like? <laughs> this Napoleon is, week? This is Napoleon in the 1927 you know version. On. Here, um, Christopher, the Christopher Plummer one, though, that gets shown on... Um, does that movie channel that is not part of a, your movie subscription on... What, what are they called? They used to be called TCM, but now it's something different. Right. But that gets shown all it's the time. It's bloody good. It's it's bloody good. I mean, it's probably on YouTube. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the, he looks like a member of Shakespeare's sister in this. <laughs> but um, I suppose if people can't see the What picture, height is Joaquin Phoenix? He seems a little tall to be Napoleon. At well, the, Napoleon, Napoleon wasn't that short, of course, ah, for, this, just for, for the time. Of well, well I mean, it's just, no, yeah, I'm sorry. You're believing all the... Sorry. When I hear the phrase, what height is Joaquin Phoenix? I know it's time to wrap this podcast. 1.73 metres. It doesn't mean a thing to me, That's not that tall. That's not that tall. Thanks, Murph. Murph's still furiously typing, trying to find more facts. No, I, I, what are you, you can save it for, We've got another podcast coming up, Murph. Maybe Five some feet more, eight. Some more Joaquin Phoenix. That is small, on. Yeah. That's He's small. Smaller than me. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Thank Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for listening and don't forget to sign up to the World Service to hear some Spurs-Chelsea chat tomorrow. The Second Captain's Podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports important. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart 
A better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 